Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. What is social-emotional learning? Social-emotional learning, as defined by the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, or CASEL, is... The process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. As we know as educators, social-emotional learning has become extremely important in our field. Students today are faced with more stress anxiety, and pressure than ever before for a wide variety of reasons. That's why the Leader of Learning podcast is tackling this issue head on. And in episodes 42, 43, and 44 of this show, we will have parts one, two, and three of a series on social-emotional learning, featuring guests such as Krista Lay, Brian Kulak, and Elizabeth Merce, who will each discuss social-emotional learning from different angles. Here is episode 44, where our guest Elizabeth Merce will discuss social-emotional learning through the lens of how to reshape and redefine student discipline. All right, leaders of learning, I hope that you have enjoyed these last couple of episodes. We're going to wrap up our three-part series on social-emotional learning with another amazing guest, Elizabeth Merce, who I've gotten to know a little bit uh, through obviously being connected on social media, the four o'clock faculty group that, as we just mentioned, I was in for a quote unquote hot minute. Um, and then I really enjoy watching Elizabeth, your, uh, periscopes that you do almost daily. I think at this point in the morning on your, probably on your commute into work, but anyway, welcome to the show. And before we do anything else, please introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think you hit most of the high points there. Um, my name is Elizabeth. I teach kindergarten um, among so many other connected things. I am on um, Periscope, as you mentioned, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, I love social emotional learning and my littles, but I also like to teach bigs. So um, that's kind of where I've become so connected. And like you mentioned, four o'clock faculty is just my group and I love them and they have helped me grow. So I, I'm trying to branch out and make sure I'm helping other people grow as well and kind of pass that torch along and support others. I love that. And so, okay, let's begin here as we wrap up this uh, three-part segment, if you will, on social-emotional learning. Um, let's just talk for a second because I know your uh, passion and expertise, therefore, has really come from this idea of changing and redefining student discipline. So first, if we could sort of take it step by step, how do those two things relate in, in your opinion uh, when it comes to student discipline and social emotional learning? Absolutely. So traditionally, if you think back to when you were a kid or even maybe when you first started teaching, um, 
a lot of us have those extrinsic reward systems that were set up in our class, whether it was the clip charts, which is where my hashtag ditch the clips comes from, uh, where you may have had those little stoplights or um, things that you can move your little clip up or down, um, depending on how your behavior was. Um, now the modern version is class dojo with the point systems um, or any of those little token trend, um, extrinsic kind of rewards and motivators. And really what I like to do is trash all of that. Let's just ditch it, get rid of it, um, just no more. And instead, really focus on teaching skills and building relationships. Um, once you start to focus on that, um, you're really starting to teach a whole person. You're really starting to understand the development of the, the children that are in your classroom um, and looking at them as individuals and meeting their needs with social-emotional learning, so those social skills um, or other types of skills, building up their executive functioning and things of that nature, instead of just punishing them for not knowing it. So almost the same pathway we would do when we're looking at reading or mathematics. So I, I love a few things that you said in your answer. And if I could just sort of break it down a little bit, one of the things that you spoke about was something that was brought up in part one of our series, uh, which was the, I think you you called it the whole person or or what we refer to as the whole child, that social emotional learning ties back to educating the whole child. And then actually in our last episode uh, with Brian Kulak, we talked very, very briefly about restorative practices uh, in terms of student discipline and how that is a much more aligned way to deal with things in terms of social emotional learning. And so I guess what I was wondering then, if you could get into that clip chart piece a little bit more. I know you have that hashtag. Like I said, I know it's a a big passion of yours, but um, where did those clip charts come from? Um, How have we seen them form throughout the years? And, And I guess if you could go a little bit deeper into why we need to do away with them. Absolutely. And you're speaking my language with the why. I love to start with the why. Um, Because when you know your why, you do things with a little bit more intentionality. And I think that's kind of what happened over the years with clip charts. Um, Teachers didn't really understand um, the bigger picture like we do now. You know, research has really shown us a little bit more about how the brain works and how people learn in general. Um, And once we've seen that, we start to understand that punishment in and of itself or rewards in and of itself doesn't really teach replacement behaviors. And I I like to kind of think of it as whole person because the teacher themselves needs to really have a good grasp on their own social emotional learning before you can really start to instruct with with great purpose and meaning the children in your class. And so if we don't look at it as a whole person where we're supporting the teacher in the room next to us, or if you are an actual labeled building leader, um, the staff that you have under you, if you're not supporting them and teaching them those skills and supporting them in those skills. They can't then teach their students, right? And that's where even with, um, you mentioned restorative practices, we usually start with staff first, right? And do training there. And then it kind of goes into the classroom setting as well. And so the same thing has to happen for the rest of the social emotional skills. So let's take a, a traditional kindergarten or first grade classroom, right? If you have a student that is yelling out during a whole group lesson, traditionally what would happen is the teacher would go, hey, Johnny, stop yelling out. You know, you really need to raise your hand. Johnny yells out again because he's so excited about the lesson and his impulse control just isn't fully developed yet because that's one of the last skills um, to develop. It's in that frontal lobe. You're really looking at a higher level thinking skill that has to happen there. And that regulation is very hard for young children. So if the teacher doesn't understand that part of development of the child, then they're just getting more and more frustrated because they're seeing that that child um, is just yelling out and not correcting their behavior. So the 
Johnny yells out again and the teacher goes, go move your clip. So now instead of building Johnny up and teaching Johnny a skill, um, instead of showing him how to manage that impulse that he's going to have for several more years, um, we've started to break a connection by shaming him in front of his peers. Um, and none of us would like that, right? If we were in the middle of a staff meeting to get called out and be shamed in front of our fellow teachers. So we've now shamed Johnny where he has to go move his clip. Typically, that is then communicated to the parents as the child has been clipped down, right? So now you finished your day on yellow or red. And so now the parent, instead of reinforcing um, the skill of how to self-regulate and have impulse control, the parent is then most likely going to continue the punishment. Um, And in their minds, they're doing the right thing. They're trying to support the teacher and what's going on in the classroom. Unfortunately, none of that meshes with a replacement behavior for that student. So they now have no skill um, to replace their impulses with, right? Um, And you've also now broken down that connection with the teacher. So now Johnny's not going to trust that teacher. And we all know students need to be vulnerable and have trust with that teacher if they're going to try and learn something new and branch out, right? You've also shamed that student because they've publicly had to go move their clip. And they're all... All the students are watching this. So now they're going to refer to Johnny as, you know, the one that has to be on yellow or red, or Johnny's always there. And that then messes with that child's self-esteem as well. So now Johnny's view of himself is that he can't do things right. So it really causes a huge problem because the teacher may not understand fully what to do instead. Um, And really, what should you do instead? teach that skill, right? There's so many different ways that we can show students to have impulse control or even just change our own perception of what is typical. And that's why understanding the the children in front of you and where they are developmentally is such an important thing for the teacher to learn. Let me cut cut you off for a second. And and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to come back to that. So hold that thought because I really do want to get into like solutions rather than just saying, this isn't working, offer up some solutions for how to fix it. But before we get there, um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, if you said it. I apologize. I'm not sure how long you've been teaching. I've been in the game now 13 years, and I don't know about you, but when I first got into it, PBIS was like all the rage for you know handling student discipline, and and really, I think ideally, uh, it was supposed to be for improving the school culture and climate. Obviously, although it had some benefits, I think over time. Uh, we've now cycled through, or we should have sort of cycled through that. I guess my question is, why? So PBIS has so many different levels to it, right? Um, I think what we've seen happen is PBIS came out um, as a response to um, a lot of things that we're seeing happen in schools where kids are not coming out with the skills they need, Um, school discipline, you see the numbers rising and things like that. I think what's ending up happening from my view, and I, you did ask how long I've been teaching, I'm sorry, about 10 years, just a little over, um, and people are relying a little bit more on the token economy that is mentioned as just a small portion of the reinforcer, if you look at a lot of the source material, and not as much on the intervention. And if you think about special education, interventions are things that teach And there's a lot of time spent on token economies on the things I've seen online from other schools being posted out. And that's not necessarily the case for every site. Um, There's a lot of schools that are doing it with great fidelity and great um, results. But what I'm seeing with it is sometimes teachers are forgetting that intervention part, that teaching the skill part. They're thinking, hey, I showed the great set of expectations. And I do love that it shows um, expectations across the board. So I think that it is a great response 
response to that. And there's a lot of great programs out there right now that really focus on teaching those skills versus just punishing or awarding points or awarding tokens of any kind, stickers, whatever it is um, that your site enjoys. I feel, and again, uh, I don't, I've sort of passed the point of really prepared and scripted questions that I ask my guests, but I feel like I set you up for like an alley-oop and you slam dunked it on that one. Uh, I was hoping that's kind of how you would answer that question because (laughs) I, I feel very much the same way. I think people got so caught up in the rewards and the incentives, not enough attention being paid to the actual interventions. And also I, I honestly feel if you if you're talking if you if we're bringing it back to social emotional learning the students who really needed those interventions the most it was all it was like a backfire where they just were not getting those incentives enough and um it it was supposed to intrinsically motivate them to want them more but I think really in reality the backfire of it all was that they they turned away from it and it just Absolutely. didn't work. But I think part of that problem, if you think about it, goes back to that idea of teaching the whole person. So looking at it from a staff point of view also, um, if you think of PBIS and you you really put the emphasis on the intervention portion of it, that means that the teacher has to be diligent with it. And they have to start to think of the social emotional learning, those skills that you really need to interact appropriately in a school setting or really in life, right? Um, that means that the teacher has to have intentionality on teaching those skills. And especially in the elementary level, well, even in the high school level, when I talk to a lot of my four o'clock faculty pals, um, what ends up happening is the social emotional skills fall to the background because they're not assessed skills on the report card. And if they are, they fall under things like work study habits that typically don't have, you know, um, diligent rubrics that we're giving feedback on. We're not getting training on how to support those skills. It's not like reading and math where we have specialists come in and say, hey, this is the best way to, to teach reading. This is the new best practice based on research. This is how you can do it. And this is how I'm going to support you in the classroom. So you don't have that. And so it kind of falls to the wayside. And we unfortunately then sometimes attach those work study habits or productivity or citizenship skills to things like assignments where we're marking down kids for being late instead of teaching them how to be organized. Um, And we're not taking that proactive approach because we think that it takes more time. One of my favorite sayings is um, that you have to prime before you paint, right? So it takes more time to prime your drywall, but it always turns out so much better at the end. It takes a lot more time on the front end to teach the skills versus just punishing, um, but it turns out so much better on the end. And I think that that's kind of the trap that kind of happens with PBIS where the tokens are so much easier. I can pull out a sheet of stick and give a kid a sticker. I can pull out a ticket and give them a ticket for a drawing. Um, but what is that really teaching them? The kid that doesn't have impulse control because it wasn't taught to them and practiced with them and shown with them, or they're just physiologically not quite there yet. Now you're just putting them into that cycle, that trap where they're still not getting anything and they're not getting the intervention, the actual instruction of the skill. So I agree. It came out as a great tool, but the whole person needs to be taught. And so the teachers need to have that same support on the social emotional skills as we get with reading and math and content areas. You know, it's funny too. I think when you think about it, it, it sort of created this like unhealthy competition. And, mm-hmm. and I'm as a, as an educator, as a classroom teacher, um, I encourage sometimes some healthy competition uh, because I thought that especially at a secondary level, uh, at least for some students, maybe not all, it does help drive the motivation a little bit. As a matter of fact, 
effect. Um, there's someone I follow pretty closely on social media, Dr. Ryan Jackson, uh, principal in, I believe, Tennessee. Anyway, he I know he did his, his dissertation, his research for his doctorate on just that competition. But as we've already said, I think that unhealthy competition is what really did it in. The Leader of Learning Podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning Podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. So getting back into social emotional learning, but even more importantly, that piece about the student discipline and what we need to do now. Uh, again, I apologize for cutting you off before, but we were we were just about to get to some solutions. Now, as we uh, as we wrap up this third part of our social emotional learning series, a couple of things that have already been mentioned, I think were just brought back around uh, with you a minute ago. One of the things that you touched upon is how to really embed social emotional learning and also this um, this climate change, if you will, in terms of student discipline, how to really embed it across the board in schools. Uh, so I'd love to hear your take on that. And also the other thing that uh, you just said, I wrote it down, so I just wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah. When you talked about how there are programs out there that can really help schools change the culture of how they deal with discipline, um, I was hoping you could touch upon that as well. Absolutely. So I think the first thing that needs to take place is a, a mindset shift. Um, and again, that's where we have to start with the teachers, because if the teachers don't change how they're viewing um, interactions with students um, and look at misbehavior as a time to teach versus a time to punish, you're not going to make any headway. You know, teachers can talk the talk, but if they don't truly see the difference and shift it, um, you're not going to make any big difference or big impact, right? So that's really where it needs to start. Um, once teachers start to realize that punishment actually makes the problem worse, and instead, when a child's misbehaving, instead of thinking, what's wrong with that child, or I'm going to show them, our mindset needs to shift to, what can I do to help this child? How can I assist this child? What skill is this child lacking? Just like when they're sitting in front of you trying to read a book, if a child is struggling on a word, we don't go, well, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to move your clip or I'm going to have to call your mother. And instead we go, let me take a running record and see where you are struggling. And then I'm going to provide assistance in that specific area. We really need to start thinking of it that way. So if I see a kid that's getting in trouble a lot, you know, as far as um, not making good choices, we really need to be more diligent on documenting where exactly is that mistake taking place? You know, what skill are they lacking? Because each child is going to need something different. And then meeting that child where they are and supporting that specific need. Um, some of my favorite resources um, for teachers to kind of look at, conscious discipline is amazing. Um, obviously, the restorative practices, um, another great thing to look at for um, teachers. I love anything by Dr. Jane Nelson. Um, and my mentor in college, um, she literally changed my life, both as an educator and as a parent, is Dr. Catherine Kersey. She has the 101s, which are great tools for building connections and teaching quick skills. So it takes a real big theory of positive discipline or positive guidance that started about 100 years ago and puts it into practical applications. Um, she literally changed the trajectory of my life. So I cannot thank her enough. Um, but Definitely checking into anything that really focuses on teaching a skill instead of just punishment. There shouldn't be token rewards in there. It should just be 
teaching the skill. I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing all those resources. Let me ask you a follow-up question about that mind sh- mindset shift that you referred to a couple minutes ago. Um, I'm going to assume that you've at least had the experience in 10 years of teaching that um, you see teachers, regardless of how long they've been doing this, but chances are they've been at the, at the game of education for a while, where it's just so hard for them to switch. And when these, let's call them new school ideas about how to discipline students uh, come about, they feel like they're way too soft or it not enough is being done to punish the student or to dole out consequences. What can be done there? Do you have some advice or do you have some experiences that you can speak to on in, in that front? Absolutely. And I think that the answer, unfortunately, isn't a one size fits all. Um, You have to know the teachers you're you're talking with or you're mentoring or you're sharing with or you're leading. Um, Some teachers are going to thrive on seeing brain research, you know, really understanding how raising your voice at a child changes their brain chemistry, how isolating a child through things like timeout um, changes what's going on in their brain. So sometimes having things like that or looking at trauma-informed practices and understanding how the trauma that they're experiencing at home is shading and changing their brain and their behaviors. Sometimes you're going to have teachers that that's what they thrive on, right? Um, Sometimes you're going to have teachers that just seeing it through um, experiential pieces is going to be important. Um, So sharing your story, and that's why I'm very open with um, my own experiences as far as what my own ACEs scores are and how my life has changed. So um, I'm very open with that, especially with the teachers in my building, because I want them to see experientially how that has changed. Sometimes teachers thrive on that. Um, Other times, you're going to have to actually go in there and model for teachers. They need to um, see how that changes. And sometimes that fake it till you make it kind of thing where when they see you doing it repeatedly, just like with teaching reading, sometimes they need to see somebody teach a guided reading lesson multiple times before they understand that new way to do a word study or um, whatever the new technique is. So really understanding the teachers that you have in front of you and how they function and where they're coming from and their perspectives and meeting them where they are and supporting them in that um, has been more beneficial, um, especially as I teach adult learners. I do teach um, pre school teachers quite a bit um, through consulting or conferences or even um, as an adjunct. And really getting to know where they're coming from helps me tailor what I'm giving to them as resources so that they can then go back to their classroom and do better. And then checking in with them. Um, it's, It's not enough to just say, hey, we need to change. This is why. And then not coming back to it. You know, you would never do that with a reading program or a writing program. You'd always check back in with your teachers, you know, do more observations, do more um, consulting with them and just, you know, hey, buddy, how's it going? And you need to do the same thing when it comes to those social emotional skills. Most of us are, we're not brought up that way, right? Um, and most of us feel like we turned out okay, but it's more of a we turned out okay in spite of, not because of. Um, and I don't know about you, but I want more for the next generation, not less. So it's important to make sure we're still giving more and doing better. You know, Maya Angelou, to kind of paraphrase her, you know better, you do better. And we know a lot more now about the brain and behavior and we need to do better. Yeah, I hear you and I agree 100%. Uh, you know, both of us have young kids. So when you say, you know, do better for that next generation, it, it obviously really hits home. 
Um, I actually wanted to throw out another resource just from my own experience, too, because my school and my district buy into literally and figuratively to uh, these services. Uh, the Efficacy Institute, which can be found at www.efficacy.org. It's an organization that is based out of, I believe, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, founded on the efficacy principles through the research of Dr. Jeff Howard, who I sat through a training for a couple of days that he did. And the efficacy principles are are really huge uh, as a way of tapping into social emotional learning and just really supporting students um, you know, meeting them where they're at, like we've like we've spoken about here, and and just intrinsically motivating them to just do, try their best at everything that they do. I, I really appreciate your time. Before I wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there's anything more that you wanted to add, as this is sort of that last piece to the social emotional learning series that we were running here. I think that thing always goes back to knowing your why. So when you're in the middle of a situation with a student, especially if it becomes inflamed, um, or you're in front of a student that's elevated in some way. So maybe they're crying, maybe they're angry. Go back to your why, you know, and how you're responding. If it doesn't match your why for your classroom, then rethink your response. Great, great points. I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, these these last few episodes have just been, I think, tremendous and amazing conversations on such an important and timely topic like social emotional learning and whether it's dealing with it at a student level or an adult level or, or rethinking the way that we discipline our students. It's just so, so important. Uh, before we really wrap up, though, if you could... How do people find you? How do they get more information? Where can they connect out there on social media? Absolutely. Um, my handle is pretty much the same on all the platforms. It's Emerced Learning, um, E-M-E-R-C-E-D Learning. Um, I'm on Instagram, Periscope, Facebook, Twitter, um, pretty much anywhere. And if you search the hashtag Ditch the Clips, you can find me that way as well. And I love to connect with other educators, especially at different levels. Um, we learn from each other and grow from each other in so many different ways. Um, also on Boxer, so <laughs> Emerced Learning there as well. Um, definitely reach out if you have any questions or you just want to chat. Again, uh, just a, a plug of Elizabeth's Periscope channel. I love watching uh, early in the morning. You know, if you're uh, an East Coaster like we are, you could probably catch them around, what, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, about between um, 7 and 7.15, depending on uh, how quickly Starbucks makes my coffee in the morning. Okay, okay. <laughs> if you're on the West Coast, no chance. You got to catch that on the replay. But <laughs> hash, hashtag ditch the clips. I love that. Elizabeth, I, I know that you've listened to the show before because you've told me that, but I really appreciate your, your time here and coming on as a guest. Your insights are, are awesome. And those periscopes, like I said, are, are just tremendous all the time. So thank you so much for your time. Awesome. And thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Boxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.